Welcome to Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a lot about life and a little about business. Your host, Ashley Ramsey, will be sitting down with guests from all different sectors of the real estate industry to tell you their real life stories. From hardships to triumphs and business to personal lives, we promise to bring you the tea. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spilling the Title Tea. Today's guest is Diane Brookert, who is a licensed title agent and the state manager of the Springdale Title Alabama operations, headquartered in Daphne, Alabama. Welcome to the show, Diane. Hi, thank you for having me. So Diane, as a licensed title agent with, you know, 35 years or more of experience in the industry, you have to kind of learn how to roll with the punches. You know, markets are always changing. Laws are changing. Technology changes. This is, you know, an industry that just keeps you on your toes. So I know that you've overcome a lot of adversity in your personal life. Do you think the chaos of the title industry kind of helped you be the type of person that could handle those circumstances and change as well? Or do you think it was your life experiences they gave you the skill to navigate this crazy world that we call title. Well, I think it might be a little bit of both. Also, I do have kind of a bold, outgoing personality, so that's always helpful. The title industry, I believe, and my experience has been a rock during any difficult times in my life. You always need to work. I believe my experience brings a lot to the table in pretty much any situation as far as a job goes. So I know I can always rely on my knowledge and real estate will always be there. So there will always be a need for something that I know. So I do think that having that experience has made a difference, you know, when I've had adversity going on in my life. On the other hand, life does send you on unexpected tracks, you know, like Springdale Cider, for instance. I never thought that my experience would put me on the path of working with such an amazing group of people. I think my life experiences along with my belief in God and has really led me where. Well, I, I would agree with you on that. And I think that, you know, no matter the ups and downs of life, it's a roller coaster ride, you know, in work, in business, in personal things, it's always going to have ups and downs. And I think that, like you said, faith and being confident in your skills is one of those things that kind of can help you navigate the troubled waters. Yes, I agree. You know, we were talking about here how you've overcome a lot of adversity in your personal life, and I do mean a lot. Do you care to share a little bit with the audience about some of the things that you've overcome? Sure. I mean, you know, everybody has life obstacles, you know, but that always, I believe, brings us out in a way that we could not have been before. Personally, I mean, I've lost my mom. It was very sudden. It was uh, one of those situations where she kind of went in the hospital and never came out. And that was really tough. She was a significant rock in my life. Very strong, independent woman who was born physically handicapped, who raised me very well. I think she worked two jobs and went to night school to become a civil engineer. So, I mean, she was very driven and very dedicated and, you know, had a really rough life growing up as a child up to alcoholic parents. So the adversity that she overcame was really inspirational to me to make sure that I made her proud and, you know, I really looked up to her. You know, so that was a difficult time in my life. Also, I battled with breast cancer 
at a very young age of 32, I ended up having stage four breast cancer. That was a surprise. I found out that the cancer was an end result of some medication I had taken early on in my life when I was trying to have kids. I actually had five miscarriages before I had my son. So in speaking with the doctor, you know, he said, look, he said, I can give you some extra progesterone. You know, it may or may not cause cancer. And I said, let's do it. You know, I want my baby, you know. So we did the extra progesterone and it turns out that, you know, that was a contributing factor definitely to me having breast cancer. So at the right young age of 32 with two babies, I had to go through a mastectomy and reconstruction. However, I did not do any chemo or radiation, which was That's a blessing. Yeah, he is. Based on the location of the two tumors, I didn't have one, I had two, but based on the location and the information that I gathered with speaking with the doctors and the oncologists, I just felt that chemo radiation was not good for me. It wouldn't have increased my chances of survival significantly over 10 years because we all know that cancer research is based on 10-year intervals. So... They told me if I did the chemo and radiation, I would have a 9% success rate of being here 10 years cancer-free. If I did not do the chemo and radiation, I would have had an 80% of being here cancer-free in the next 10 years. So, I mean, 80% is pretty good. So, I just, you know, weighed the pros and cons of what chemo does to your body. Right. You know, I mean, it. let's face it, it kills the cancer, but it kills your body as well. And as a mom of two young babies, divorced, on top of that, you know, I couldn't put my body through that. I couldn't put my children through that. So I went through that process. That was in December of 2000 when I found the tumors and ironically had had a mammogram like three months before. <laughs> so the mammogram missed it. I'm not saying don't do your mammograms, but I'm saying do your own self-check as well. You know what your body feels like. You know what it's supposed to do. You know your body. So just... I mean, how large were these two tumors that they were missed in a mammogram? They were pretty large. One was three millimeters, or I don't remember, maybe it's centimeters. I can't remember how they measure the tumors. Anyway, one was three and one was four. I mean, they were pretty big. They called me having stage four breast cancer. So stage four, from what I understand, is one of the highest, and stage five is where it's spreading to your throughout your body. So... I am very blessed to be here, not having any chemo, not having any radiation, only having the one surgery, and to never have had cancer again, knock on wood. I mean, you can't tell me God was in that picture somewhere. That's a miracle. Absolutely. So the location of the tumors were closer to the inside of the breast, I guess, cleavage area. Most people, when they find breast cancer, it's under your arm, closer to your armpit which is closer to the lymph nodes. So because I didn't have any cancer in my lymph nodes, I believe played a huge role in my success rate and my recovery. And so anyway, it was, I mean, obviously a very difficult and scary time. I mean, you hear the word cancer and you're like, I'm 30 years old. This is not supposed to be happening. You know, you know. And in all reality, isn't, I mean, the age for mammograms that they tell you to start having them is like 40, isn't it? It may even be later than that. I don't even remember, but I mean, I've been having them every year, you know, regularly. But I mean, honestly, I don't know that I have 100% faith 
in that because I'm the one that found the tumors. You know, yeah. that's so scary. It is. It's very scary. During that time, I lost my daughter. She was four. So here I am going through breast cancer treatment, which was basically consists of, you know, going through the surgery. I had consistent follow-ups. We had modifications to make. All kinds of issues going on for up to a couple of years after, you know, the surgery. I mean, you know, you have surgery, you visit the doctor often and that sort of thing. Just like, hey, I did surgery. And then I was having issues with my daughter, who at the time was four. I mean, she was born perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with her other than she was incredibly strong-willed. She fought <laughs> to a nail. She was her mother's daughter. (laughs) She fought me tooth and nail on everything. I mean, I remember that baby being five months old and I would drop her off at her friend's house and just cry and leave and just drive. I mean, drive myself around, you know, and just, I just can't deal with her anymore. I mean, she was my difficult child for sure. As she got older, you know, of course, I took her to some psychologists and psychiatrists. But I mean, you know, you're dealing with a toddler. So it's not a whole lot they can do when they're that young, except maybe a little role play interaction, you know, like, here's the baby doll. You know, what do you think about this? And, you know, change activities and see how they react to certain situations. And, you know, she would have problems at daycare with certain things. She would come home with me and want to be like self-abusive, like she would throw herself on the floor and have a temper tantrum. I mean, what toddler doesn't do that? But she would bang her head in ways that, you know, toddler shouldn't do. So I would have to keep her from doing that. You know, I would get on to her as she got older. I would, you know, get on to her about stuff like every parent does and, you know, make her go to her room. She would throw toys and put holes in her wall or throw toys at her window and break the glass. Or kick the door. I mean, she was very destructive. She would pull her hair so hard that she would pull wads of hair out of her own head. You know, but on the flip side of that, she was such an angel to be around. She was very much a leader. She was teeny tiny, teeny tiny. She was walking by the time she was nine months old. She was just very much had that leadership personality, I guess, kind of like me. You know, she was very happy and bubbly and you know, her her brother, Marcy Ryan, you know, they went to a church daycare. So she was learning about Jesus. And one of the funny thing is she told me one day, and she's full sentences by the time she was two years old. She came up to me one day and stood in front of me, put her hands on her hips. And she said, Mommy, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And talk about taking a back. You know, I said, yeah, yeah baby, we are going to go be with Jesus one day. And she said, no, Mommy, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And that was it. Then she ran off and was playing. And then her accident happened. So took off a head banging episode, if you want to call it that, uh, with her stepmother. I had actually gone out of town to visit a girlfriend of mine. It was late Sunday night when I got back. And I told my ex-husband at the time, I said, can you please, I'll pick them up from daycare tomorrow afternoon. And they're like, sure, you know, I mean, it wasn't anything that didn't happen sometimes. And about 1030, I got a phone call from a very hysterical stepmom who said they've taken Morgan to the emergency room via life flight. So I don't remember much after that. I don't remember driving there. I don't remember getting there. I don't remember a lot of things other than getting there and seeing her on this table. And at the time she was fine and, you know, well, not fine. She wasn't awake. She had this huge, gigantic knot on her forehead. And I want to say like the size of probably a golf ball. I mean, it was protruding out that much. It was just crazy. She was 
you know, unconscious. They had her hooked up to some stuff and, you know, they wouldn't let me see her, but just a couple of minutes. And then that was it. They shoot us all out of there and we waited and waited and waited. And a couple of days later, they told me that she had no brain activity. So we had to make the decision to act on a life support. That was tough. Tough isn't even the word for that. I can't fathom it. I can't fathom having to see your child in that fashion, having to make that kind of a decision about removing support that was keeping her alive, although she had obviously no quality. But to have to make the decision to say, we're not going to continue on with this because there isn't any hope left. I mean, it's just there's no words to even, I think, describe a moment like that. Right. You know, and a lot of it, I don't remember. I mean, I remember, but you see these TV shows where people are going through these types of situations and they see this long hall with this long tunnel. You know, it feels like the tunnel is just getting longer and longer. That actually happened to me that night. And I just, I don't know how to explain it. So it was like I wasn't even in my body. You know, I could see what was going on through like a scope, if you will. You know, I am in the room, but I literally heard, well, walk, 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 walk. And this tunnel was getting longer, you know, and then the decision was made to turn it off. And then I had a plan of funeral for a four-year-old. That was a very tough time. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, what I was saying earlier was like, when I said a lot, I meant a lot. Because any one of these situations on their own is enough for anybody to have to try to juggle. But dealing with the loss of a parent, miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, finally having your kids, going through a divorce with their dad, dealing with stage four breast cancer, and then the thing that nobody ever wants to live through, the loss of a child. It, yeah, it's the tough. fact that you're just, you know, even on your two feet with your right mind and able to function well every day, not just get by, but function well every day is a complete testament to your will, your character, your faith. It's amazing. Well, thank you. That was, it was a very long time ago. I mean, she died on January 22nd, 2002. So, you know, that's 21 years ago. So, you know, time heals. I mean, people who lose people and they ask me, how did you do it? I mean, I don't know how I did it. First of all, I had a six-year-old boy I had to take care of. You have to just wake up and you do every day and then every day turns into every year and then every year turns into five or 10 years. And here it is 21 years later. And and as the time goes by, I can talk about it a little bit more, you know, but I mean, let's face it, that was my baby girl. I'm going to get upset. You know, I had seven pregnancies, five miscarriages, two children, uh, two live births, and I only have one child left. I mean... You know, <laughs> yeah, that was tough. But, you know, going back to Morgan and her behavioral issues, we did find out that she was probably going to be bipolar. She had at that time, at the age of four, which we were doing some pretty extensive testing, she had four of the nine characteristics of being bipolar. And, you know, honestly, Ashley, you know, she is in a much better place. I mean, to be bipolar in this world would have to be. You know, it'd be a difficult life. Yeah, I have friends who have dealt with that. And, you know, I am glad she is with her father, her true father, because 
he can do for her much more in that situation than I ever could. Yeah. And how profound, though, that she told you in advance, I'm going to go to be with Jesus. I mean, that was crazy. And I also have a picture, and I wish I could find this picture, but there's a picture of her and her daddy and one of his friends and his child. And there is this ray of light in this picture strictly over my daughter. You know how the sun ray comes yeah. strictly over her. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Everything happens for a reason. And what a comfort that really is, you know, that you have that memory of her just being so matter of fact and just knowing in her little heart that she was going to be home soon. Absolutely. Gives me chills, Miss Diane. So, I mean, like I said, you've juggled a lot. What advice would you give to somebody that feels like they're facing an obstacle that just seems too overwhelming? Even if it's just one, even if it's not a multitude like you've had to deal with, how do you advise somebody to overcome those sorts of things? Well, now I see that you trust in God first. At the time, I wasn't an avid Christian. I've always believed in God. But, you know, at the time, you're always like, why me? Why this? Why that? Why does God do things like this? You know, God took my baby home because she didn't need to live on this earth with bipolar or whatever behavioral problems that she had. He took my mom home because my mom didn't need to exist anymore in her current medical state with all the problems that she had. You know, so you just, you trust in God. You may not see what plan he has for you at the time, but you will see it later. It's in his time. You know, confide in somebody, anyone. There are people who are always willing to help or listen. I'm one of those people. Even if I don't know you that well, you need to talk to somebody, call me, text me, whatever we need to do. We will talk about it. You never know what people are going through. You never know who needs help. There have been so many suicides lately just here locally. I would be willing to try to talk anybody off that ledge. Taking your life, there's nothing in this world worth going through that because this will pass. It will. Go to any church, talk to any pastor. I don't know of any pastor that would turn you away. There are just too many people around who are actually willing to help other people. You know, so I would just say, try to talk to somebody, reach out to somebody. If you don't think there's help available, you're wrong. There is help. I would agree with that. I think that, you know, people get that sense of being alone and maybe they're afraid to reach out to somebody or maybe they're afraid to reach out even to a stranger. But there's so much more help available than I think people give society credit for. Totally. I mean, everyone has been through something that someone else is going through. You know, these are all life situations. I'm not the only one who's lost a child. There are many other people out there who've lost children, you know. So there is always somebody out there who can help you get through what you're going through. It is not worth living your life or, you know, going to drugs or into deep depression. I mean, just talk to somebody. I agree. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much, Diane, for being a guest today. You know, taking time out of your busy schedule to share all of these really personal details and stories with our audience. I'll tell the audience that Diane is in Alabama, as we said. Her main office there is in Daphne. We're going to put her contact information in the podcast description. She's also licensed in the state of Mississippi. So we're going to put all that information in there for you so that if you have title needs in either of those states, you are easily able to reach out to her for any information that you may need. And thanks again for joining us on another episode of Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a little bit about business and a lot about life. 
Thanks for having me, Ashley. It was a blessing to be here. That's all the tea we have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spilling the Title Tea and visit us online for more valuable resources at springdaletitle.com. Oh, 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 oh